0: Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Let's open the, the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. We're going to continue our study in Timothy's Letter from the Apostle Paul, and today we're going to be seeing the instruction from Paul to Timothy for him to focus specifically on setting an example. And this is instruction not just for Timothy, this is important instruction for all of us, as those who walk with Christ and have influence in our lives, in our homes, in our workplace, and and, and everywhere else. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse 11, if you would just follow along and then we'll pray together. And we'll dig deeper verse 11 command and teach these things and let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love in faith in purity until I come devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation to teaching Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is God's word. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for this opportunity to worship and sing and confess and slow down and focus our heart's attention upon what you have said to us in the scriptures. I do pray that you would accomplish your purpose through the preaching of your word to bring conviction where it needs to fall on our hearts and to bring comfort where it needs to fall on our hearts. Help us to be faithful to you and Use this text to shine a light on our lives in such a way that we can know your will, and then give us the motivation by your Spirit and the gospel so that we can walk it out. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I wasn't expecting Jeff to come and share that story about his old church experience, but it reminded me of where I'm going in the introduction today, It seems that the older I get, the wider the gap between generations seems to grow. Basic day-to-day tasks from a generation ago, from my own childhood, would be completely foreign to a lot of young people today. For instance, how many of you remember what it was like to use a phone book? And some of you kids don't even know what a phone book is. No, it's not a phone. It's a book filled with phone numbers. They're not stored in our phones when we were kids. It was in a book, and we would get a new one every year. How many of you remember sitting really close to the television because you knew at some point your dad was going to ask you to change the channel, and changing the channel was you turning a dial on the actual TV set? Some of you kids have no idea what we're talking about. You've had remotes in your hand all of your lives. How many of you know the frustration of not being able to use the home phone and the internet at the same time? Again, you guys have no idea what I'm talking about because your phone is the internet, right? When was the last time you pulled out a paper map to plan out your route across town? Or, or here's, here's an even bigger question. How many of you have never rented a movie from a video store? See, one generation's experience of regular life can bear no resemblance to the experience of another generation. That's just the way the world works, right? New technology comes onto the scene and life changes. Sometimes it changes for the better, sometimes not so much. And these changes, they do more than just impact our lives. They can have a tendency to make us think less of those who didn't experience life the way we did. And it comes out when we say things like, oh, kids these days, and we shake our heads, right? The generation gap can have a significant and negative impact, not just on life in general, but it can also have a negative impact on relationships within the church. Like Jeff can remember all of that experience, but none of us had ever, can you imagine being a deacon and one of your responsibilities is to stoke the fire on the pulpit on Sunday mornings? That's just foreign to us. But I can remember being in the church as a kid, and being in church required you to have two books with you a Bible and a hymnal. It's a sad thing that many of us don't know what a hymnal is and how to use one. I can also remember being in church when we were using overhead projectors for worship. Y'all remember that? That was weird. Well, it wasn't weird at the time. Now we think about it, like, man, that's strange. I remember when they finally mounted a projector to the ceiling of the church, and some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. What is an overhead projector? I remember being on staff in church when I was in my 20s, and of course, I had all the answers to all the problems, right? I mean, I thought I knew it all. Um, I remember a, a few of the older saints in the church not giving me much attention or respect, and on more than one occasion, I felt the same way about them. You see, those generation gaps don't just affect our life, they can affect the way we view those other generations. And that's not the way that God wants his people to look on. Multiple generations. See, God has a plan, and He's revealed that plan in His Word that He intends for the older generation of believers to pour their lives into the younger generation. And the younger generation is to respect and learn from the older. But both generations have an opportunity and a calling to serve at the same time alongside one another. Both the older generation and the younger generation should show respect and love to the other. And and what happens when this, this goes on is that every generation of the church is sound in doctrine and sound in practice because we're handing down the faith and we're encouraging and commending the faith one generation to another. But this doesn't always happen in the church. In fact, we see this in the text today. In Timothy's case, he was a young man. He was probably in his early 30s, is what we believe. We don't really know, but he's probably in his early 30s. But here's this young man in a position of authority in ministry, and he's young. And so being young, it had an effect upon the relationships that he had with other people. And it caused the people in the church, particularly the older generation, to despise him. That's what the text says. And the fact that Paul brings this up in this letter leads me to believe that it was something that they had discussed before. It was something that had happened before. It's probably likely that Timothy's very discouraged by the fact that an older generation doesn't love him and respect him for the work that he does, and he's discouraged by that. And and, and who can blame him? They're despising him simply because he's young. But Paul wants him not to be discouraged not to allow the thoughts of others to keep him from serving faithfully. And in this passage, Paul gives no less than 10 different commands to Timothy to show how he can serve in such a way that rather having people look down on him because of his youth, he could give them a reason to look up to him because of the example that he sets. So that's what we're looking at this morning. And, and I know that the text starts in verse 11, but I want you to look first with me at verse 12 where we see this, this instruction, this command to set an example for others to follow. It says this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now let your eyes skip down to verse 15. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Two ideas there. Set the believers an example and to immerse yourself so that all may see your progress. Both of these relate to his example. You know, being a leader in the church is filled with challenges. Being a young leader only adds to those challenges. And and youth comes with great energy and passion, but it also comes with a sense of, I don't know what I don't know. It comes with a lack of experience. And the Bible doesn't hide the fact that wisdom often comes to us over time. The more we live, the more we learn, the more we experience, the more we have opportunities to grow. And like I said, young people are often filled with passion and energy and fresh ideas, but the inexperience of youth can pose problems, especially in ministry. And the problem that Timothy faces, it's not new. They looked down on him. They despised him. And in verse 13, we learn that Paul is not going to be with him for a while. Paul tells him in verse 13, until I come. So so Timothy's on his own. But here's the paradigm here. The apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is an apostle. He speaks with the authority of an apostle. And he's giving this information to Timothy. And then Timothy stands in Paul's stead, and he speaks with that authority. But guess what? He's not an apostle. And add to that, he's this young guy. And it's creating all of these problems. But that doesn't mean that Timothy doesn't have something to offer to the church. And that's what Paul is trying to get out of him. And as I was thinking about this, I I, I thought about another moment in biblical history where we see a young man stepping into a grown man's role. And I thought about King David. Y'all remember the story of David before he was actually king when he was just a young boy? And he goes to the battlefield where the army of Israel is aligned to fight with the Philistines. And he goes to the battlefield to take lunch to his brothers and some gifts and things like that. And he sees what's going on and, and David's just incensed. He's like, why are y'all letting this uncircumcised Philistine talk about God that way? Why are you doing this? And David tries on the armor of the king and it doesn't fit. He's like, I don't, I don't really need this anyway. And so he goes out onto the battlefield and he's just a youth And even the the grown men in Israel were saying, you're just a youth. This man's been a warrior since his youth, right? So there's this disparity between age. And when David finally gets on the battlefield, what happens? Goliath looks across the battlefield. He sees him, and he begins to deride him. How dare you send a boy to battle with me? But you know the story. David didn't care that his age didn't match the warrior across the field. He didn't care that his battle experience didn't match the warrior across the field. His trust was in the Lord. And on that day, he won a great victory over the older and more experienced warrior. And I just thought about that story, that little scenario about the, the, the warrior looking down on and deriding and despising the young man, but the young man's confidence was in the Lord. And that's one of the things that I would want to say to Timothy. Don't worry about the age gap. Don't worry about the lack of experience that you have. Make up for that in your faithfulness and your knowledge of the truth. And that's what Paul is telling him. Don't let others look down on you because of your youth, but give them a reason to look up to you because of your example. And setting an example, all right, this, is, this is part of the Christian life. This is something Cody read for us a little bit earlier where Jesus said, in, in John chapter 13, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and I am that, but I have washed your feet. And if I, your teacher and Lord, have done this, then you ought to do it for one another because I have given you an example that you should follow. Our love for one another is to be, in, is be consistent with the example of Christ's love for us. And, and listen, I always want to make make sure that we understand something. When we start talking about Jesus as an example setter, I need you to know this. First and foremost, Jesus is not just an example for us. He is first and foremost a savior for us. Salvation doesn't come to us because we follow his example. We can't do that. Salvation comes to us when we trust in what Christ has done for us, His life that He lived and His death on the cross. So He is first and foremost our Savior, but as believers in Christ, He is our example. This is consistent with our understanding of Christian discipleship, and not just from Jesus. We see this from Paul as well. In Philippians 3, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. I mean, we know this, or we should know this. At the very least, we need to be reminded of this. As Christians, we are to follow the good examples of those who have gone before us and and model the type of faithfulness that we hope to see in the next generation. And so if you're older and you're looking down on young people, there's, there's a problem there. And if you're young and you're looking down on the older generation, then you're failing to follow the good and faithful example we're to be following as Christians. Paul told Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. See, Christian discipleship involves the teaching of sound doctrine as well as modeling faithfulness to Christ in all aspects of life. So whether you're young or old, don't be discouraged by the doubts of others. Strive to be a faithful example. You will not be a perfect example. Christ is the only perfect example example, but we can be faithful examples. Don't let others limit your value. Don't let your youth keep you from pursuing Christ, to keep you from serving in ministry and setting the example that will inspire others. And there are five key ways that Paul mentions here that we can focus on our example. The first one is in speech. He says, set an example in your speech. And this is not talking about preaching per se. Yes, Timothy is a, a pastor. He is a preacher and a teacher, but this is not talking about preaching per se. It's not using the same words that are typically used for that. But he's saying, set an example in the way you Speak in the way you communicate to others. The Bible has a lot to say about guarding our tongues. The Bible has a lot to say about this little member in our mouths being able to set a forest ablaze. The Bible has a lot to say about the difficulty of being slow to speak and quick to listen. But when we speak, we should be setting an example, striving to be faithful, speaking the truth in love, speaking with according to what Paul says in other books, in Colossians, that we are to speak with, in such a way that our words be seasoned with grace, like with salt. And when we stumble in what we say, we need to recognize that and be humble enough to confess it and then learn and grow from it. So we set an example in our speech. But we also set an example in our conduct. How many of y'all can remember getting a conduct grade in school? I never got above a C in conduct. Conduct relates to our behavior. It's how we do things, how we act, how we interact with others, whether or not we follow instructions. It's talking about our manner of life. And Paul's saying, be careful here. Set an example here in the way that you live, in the decisions that you make, in the way that you spend your free time, in how you direct your life. We should be conscious that we are setting an example. And, and look, as as dads, as husbands, as men. We're setting an example for those in our homes and in our sphere of influence, whether it's our our spouse or our children or our neighbors. If you're a coach on a sports team, you're setting an example in how you speak and how you act. There's all kinds of ways that we should be conscious that we are to be setting an example. And when there are good things that, we, that are happening in our life, we should be setting a faithful example. And even when there are bad things happening in our life, we should be setting a faithful example, no matter what. This is the calling. Together, notice this, together our speech and our conduct are those two areas of life that are most uh, easily observable on an external, in an external way. These are the things people see from us the most. You don't see my inner thoughts. You don't know what's in my mind and in my heart, but you see how I, how I live and how I speak. And he's saying, keep a close watch on these things. Speak and live in such a way that you are commending the gospel and reflecting the truth and setting an example. But he doesn't stop there. He says to set an example in love. Love is the outworking of our faith. Love is one of the cardinal virtues of Christianity. Jesus said to the disciples that the world will know that you are mine by the way you love one another. This is is paramount. The the gospel of John and the letters of John have much to say about the fact that if we truly love God and we understand the love of God, then we will be showing love to others. And if we're not showing love to others, then, then something is wrong and we don't truly understand the love of God. Love as Christians, extending love to our neighbors, extending love to one another. This is a chief outflow of our faith in Christ. So let me just ask, how are you doing in loving others? How are you doing in setting an example? Are you being gracious to others in that way? Or are you being judgmental to others in that way? Are you showing love to others through your service to them? through helping, through praying for them. Jesus said that we're to go the extra mile in showing love to our brothers and sisters. And he even tagged onto that, even our enemies. There's no pass here. We are commanded and called to show love. And by the way, if you're, if you're convicted by that and you're not, not really sure what a good example of that is, look at 1 Corinthians 13 sometime today or this week. And meditate on what does it look like to love according to Scripture, love in such a way that we are reflecting the heart of God. Consider some ways that you can set an example in how you love. Timothy's also to set an example in faith, or I think it could better be stated in faithfulness. Are you showing your trust in Christ, your faith in Christ in the way that you interact with others? Maybe you work in a secular environment and... You're one of the few believers there. Are you living, acting, showing through your actions, your confidence, your trust, your reliance upon the Lord? Are you allowing your faith to guide you? Or is it just something you exercise on Sunday mornings? Now Paul's a, he's talking to Timothy as a ministry leader. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't. It's easy for ministry leaders to allow their service to take the place of their Deeply invested trust in Christ. I'll say it again this way. It's easy for us to allow our service to Christ to take the place of our personal relationship to Christ. We can get really wrapped up in I'm doing all these things for you and yet not be constantly, consistently growing in our and deepening our relationship and our trust in the Lord ourselves. John Owen. He wrote this. He said, A minister may fill his pews, his communion roll, the mouths of the public, but what a minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. And so, yes, we can put on an outward show of our faith, but what are you on your knees before God? That's what you are. So, brothers and sisters, we are to be setting an example in our ongoing trust in the Lord, not just in the service that we render. And then lastly, he says that Timothy is to be setting an example, and, and we as well, in purity. In purity. And this refers to moral purity, both in our thoughts and our actions. And we can probably all agree that moral impurity nearly always begins in the mind. Listen, Timothy lived 2,000 years ago, but I have no doubt that he was just as susceptible to impure thoughts and actions As the rest of us. So let me ask them questions. Are you taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ? Are you guarding your interactions with others and your alone time in such a way that you are setting an example that you would like other Christians to follow, even your children? Does your browser history reflect a commitment to Christian purity? Pornography is perhaps the most devastating sin in the church today. The Barna Group reports that 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors admit that they have struggled with porn either currently or in the past. But that's not It's not just an issue for... Leaders in the church, 68% of church going men and more than 50% of pastors confess to viewing porn on a regular basis. And it's not just a problem for men, 33% of women 25 and under are confessing to the same use. This is devastating the church right now because it's devastating lives right now. And it's devastating families right now. And it's devastating marriages right now. And it's devastating children right now. But the worst of all is that this is a grievous sin in the eyes of God. And we're supposed to be setting an example in moral purity. And those are the statistics in the church. You see, Paul is instructing Timothy and all of us to put forth real effort so that our inward and our outward life are tuned to Christ. Not to this culture, not to our own sinful desires, but to Jesus. He's calling us to let our motives and actions be a genuine reflection of our profession of faith. Christians lead by example, not by our sheer force of will. We lead with humility and grace and love, not with heavy-handed worldly demands. We lead by modeling the type of life and faith that invites others to faithfully follow. Listen to this, not us but Christ, right? That's what we're called to do. And that's what Timothy is being called to do here, to set an example for others to follow. But there's more. He is to lead by example, specifically through his teaching. Look back at verse 11. We'll go back there now. He says this, command and teach these things. I mentioned earlier that there are 10 commands In this passage, these are two of them, and they're imperatives. We know they're commands because in the Greek verb tense, they are imperatives. And an imperative, if it's something that is imperative, it's something you must do, it's a word of command. And Timothy is being commanded to teach the truth with authority. The word command means to give instruction as one in authority. And to teach means to instruct and to explain so we're training others. So commanding is what we are. what is to be done, leading with the authority of God's Word, and teaching is how it's to be done, by careful instruction and explanation. This is what a teaching ministry should look like in the church. And they've got all kinds of problems going on in the church at Ephesus, and, and Paul is telling Timothy, make sure that you are striving to do this. Teach with authority. Set an example in this way. Don't apologize for the truth, but teach it with authority confidence and skill and precision based on what it is, the authoritative Word of God. That's what we're to do as ministers. That means we need to know the Word of God, it means we need to study the Word of God, and it means we need to embrace the fact that we all bear the responsibility of speaking the truth in love so that all can grow up into Christ. And this is not just for those who stand behind this sacred desk, it's for all believers. My job and our job as leaders, the reason that God has gifted each church with leaders is so that, according to Ephesians chapter 4, we can build up the body of Christ. We can equip the saints for the work of ministry, which means you are to be actively involved in the work of ministry, whether it's here or in your home or in your neighborhood or whatever. So don't just think you're off the hook because he's talking to Timothy. He's talking to a pastor here. No, he's not. He's talking to all of us. This has implication for all of our lives. Timothy is to be setting an example, and so are we, in speaking the truth, in teaching the truth with authority. But but also, look what he says in verse 13. Timothy is to set an example in his devotion to ministry. He says, until I come, so Paul's intention is to arrive at some point, but until he comes, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So two more commands here. And they both relate to the ministry in the church. Now this is specifically talking about the public ministry or the corporate ministry of the church. How many of y'all are familiar with that phrase, pay attention to the public reading of scripture? We we talk about that often, right? We we inject Scripture readings into our services intentionally because we see this. And this might seem like a really simple responsibility, but all three of these terms come together to help form something of the liturgy for the church, for the early church reading the Scriptures, exhorting from the Scriptures, teaching from the Scriptures, that's what's happening here. And there's this history that goes into this. In the Old Testament, if we look to the history of the Old Testament, what would happen is that the Jews would gather together and the Scriptures would be read. If you ever read Ezra, Nehemiah, or some of those books, you'll see that people are gathered together, the Scriptures are going to be read, and then instruction is given on how to follow those things. When the Jews were exiled from Jerusalem and they they formed synagogues, Outside of the whole the promised land, they would gather together the men would gather together on the Sabbath day. someone would read from an old testament scroll, and then another man would 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 sit and he would teach it he would give exhortation there. We see the same pattern in the early church when um, actually we see it in Jesus. Do you remember in Luke chapter 4, this is before Jesus's public ministry really took off, he goes to Nazareth and he goes into the synagogue and he takes from the scroll of Isaiah and he reads the scroll of Isaiah and then he sits down and then he explains it and he points out that scroll, that text was talking about me. Do you remember that? That's what was going on. And when when Paul tells Timothy, make sure you're doing this. Pay attention to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching. He's saying, when you gather with the saints, let your liturgy be formed in this way. Make sure you're reading the Scriptures. Make sure you're explaining it. Make sure you're teaching it. That's why we do what we do. We do this today as a church, right? When, When we open our worship. And and yes, I know yesterday I sent out an email that said our worship was going to begin at 11 a.m. and we were like somewhere around 11.10. That's okay. That's just cornerstone time, right? So it's okay. But when we begin our worship, what do we do? We open God's Word. Typically, we'll read from an Old Testament psalm and give a, a small explanation for it, and then a prayer. And then later on in the service, someone like Jeremy is going to come and read a text, and then Cody's going to give an explanation for that, leading us into confession of sin. And then I'm going to stand, and I'm going to read the text, and I'm going to preach it because we're following what the Scripture says. This is part of our liturgy. I don't know if you knew that. That's why we do what we do. And by reading from the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're remembering our story as the followers of Christ, and we're also being reminded of the gospel when we read the New Testament. The New Testament church did the same thing and there are examples of it all over the Scriptures, all over the New Testament. They would read from the Old Testament and then they would also begin to read from the Gospel traditions and the New Testament letters that were being circulated. We're just following that same pattern and following Scripture. So that's what we're supposed to be doing. But he also tells them not only to do that, but also to to use his spiritual gift to serve the body. He says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, there's some interesting ideas there. We don't know what council of elders he's necessarily referring to. There's some ideas, but we're not really sure. But this is one of those clear examples in the New Testament of the fact that the early church functioned under the leadership of a plurality of elders. The bigger question is, what did prophecy have to do with Timothy's gift? What does that mean? There are really two ways that we can read this. Either we would understand that his gift was conveyed, it was it was granted to him through prophecy or that his gift was recognized through prophecy. And it seems most likely in the text that the spirit recognized the gift of Timothy through the prophecy of another who confirmed that he was called and set apart by God, which gave him credibility in ministry. And the reason I say that is because we see that happen throughout the book of Acts. Now, what does this have to do with us today? Are you familiar with that, that, that common terminology we use when a person um, comes before the church and they say, I feel I've been called to ministry? You know that language? We often speak that way, and we might assume that just because a person feels some internal sense of calling or burden to ministry, that that's all that is necessary. But this passage of Scripture adds a few more layers to that paradigm. It is not enough for a person to simply feel an internal sense of calling. That calling should also be confirmed by others and recognized by leaders in the church. Did y'all hear that? A person's internal sense of calling should also be confirmed by other believers and specifically recognized by leaders in the church. So just because you feel a sense of burden in your heart for ministry or a sense of calling doesn't mean that you're qualified and ready to step into the pulpit. The wisdom of others is invaluable to you. And the confirmation of your gifts should come from the church herself, especially from her leaders. And a sense of calling is important, though. I do believe it. A sense of calling is important. If you don't have a burden to study the word of God and to preach the word of God and to make disciples of Christ, then it's unlikely that a true calling rests upon you. But if you are burdened to serve the Lord, that should be accompanied by a gifting that allows you to take up an office that the church would affirm, that the leaders in your life would affirm in you. Does that make sense? And Paul's basically saying this to Timothy. You remember when that happened? You remember when we were together and you felt that sense of burden and, the, and the, the prophecy was made about you and the ministry that you were going to go into and then the elders confirmed it all the more by laying hands on you and then sending you out. Do you remember when that happened? He's telling him, stir that gift up and use it. Don't neglect it just because somebody looks down on you because you're young. Stir that gift up and use it to faithfully serve the body. Timothy is to set an example in all of these ways, but the last one is this, through his consistency in life and doctrine. Look at verse 16. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. How many of us are guilty of a half-hearted approach to following Christ? Don't raise your hand. Think about it. A half-hearted approach to following Christ. I'll give you this illustration. A lot of us are content Let's say we're out on a lake somewhere, and there's a dock, beautiful dock, beautiful lake, beautiful scene. It's the middle of June, not the middle of January. And We go, and we sit on the end of the dock, and we're just content to let our feet just kind of barely dip into the water. And we can see the lake, and we can see how beautiful it is, and we can see others over there swimming, and it's how how much fun it would be, but we're just content to be right here. We We can experience a little bit of it. Now, what happens, what's the difference between sitting on the end of the dock with your toes in the water and jumping in fully? When you jump in fully, your whole body becomes immersed in it. You can't see the same way. Your your sight is affected by the water. Your your ability to hear is affected by the water. If you open your mouth to speak, you know, you can't because the water affects everything. And, and, And I'm using this as an illustration to say sometimes in the Christian life, we're just content to dangle our toes in rather than just immerse ourselves in it rather than to persist in it, rather than to just jump in with both feet and serve wholeheartedly in devotion to Christ. That's what Paul's calling Timothy to do. Don't pull away because somebody didn't like what you said, or don't pull away because you're young, or don't pull away for one reason or another, but immerse yourself in this, and grow, and serve, and persist. And he tells us even why this is so important. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's a strange phrase, right? You will save both yourself and your hearers. And you know what that word save means? It means the same thing as all the other words in the New Testament that talk about our Savior or being saved from sin. So what is going on here? No one speaks about salvation being by grace alone and through faith alone and in Christ alone more than the Apostle Paul. So what is he doing? He's using this uh, in in some odd terminology to help us understand the importance of the seriousness and the persistence and the perseverance of our faithfulness to Christ. Because if we pull away because somebody looks down on us or we pull away for some other reason, it can have a negative effect upon us and on others. He's not saying that salvation is the result of our effort. And he's not saying that the salvation of others is the result of our faithfulness. What he is saying, he is saying that our perseverance in the truth gives evidence to, our, to, to the genuineness of our faith. And we demonstrate our faith by our continued faithfulness to Christ in doctrine and in life. And when we stray from the truth, we're putting ourselves in great jeopardy. Our perseverance is not the cause of our salvation, it's the evidence of our salvation. And so perseverance in the faith will help to guard our hearts and the hearts of others from wandering after what is false. And there's a lot of falsehood in the church in Ephesus. I think that's the context of what he's saying. And I'll give a little more modern application to this. Stephen Cole, retired pastor, I read his sermon on this text this week, and he said this. He reminds us that ministry is not volunteering for Jesus. Ministry is based on dying to self and living to please the Lord. God doesn't just call us to a task. He calls us to himself, which means that our usefulness, our usefulness is tied to our relationship to Jesus. So keep a close watch on yourself, yourself, your own walk with the Lord, your own love for Christ, your own devotion to the gospel, your own devotion to the doctrine, your own life. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching because both of these things serve to minister to and help others. Both of these things serve to set an example. Let your ministry to others erupt from the overflow of your own walk with the Lord. It is our walk with Christ that fuels our work for Christ. And the church only benefits from her pastors and teachers and Sunday school teachers and ministry leaders when they remain faithful to the gospel themselves. Okay, that's the text. That's not the end of the sermon though. A couple of concluding thoughts, some questions for you or some statements. Number one, don't let youth be a hindrance to your ministry. To our young men and women, I want you to know that you aren't simply the future of the church. You are an incredible gift to the church today. And we want to give you opportunities to both grow and to serve as you are growing. But understand that taking responsibility in ministry requires a personal commitment to preparing yourself for ministry. And you're not alone here. We're all learning. We're all growing. But as a church, we need to have multiple generations serving alongside one another. We need to have the older generation, the mature generation, the experienced generation pouring into the younger so that the younger can step up and begin to serve in those capacities so that they can also set an example for those who are to come. And a church that has multiple generations serving and growing together, that's, that's, a, that's a healthy church. That's a beautiful thing to be a part of. So don't let your youth be a hindrance to your ministry and to the older, and the older men and women in the church. You have a great responsibility to pour your life into the young men and women at Cornerstone. And yes, I understand that some of you are, are in posts in ministry that you love and you don't want to give them up. But guess what? Part of what you're being called to do is to train someone else to do what you do and then get out of the way and let them do it. So for those of you who've taught Sunday school longer than I've been alive, or you've been a a deacon in the church longer than many of us have been alive, we want to learn from you. We want to know what you know. We want to grow from your experience in ministry. But then, listen, we also have need for you to create a space in the church for others to step in and have an opportunity to serve. It's just the way it should be. Number two, strive to be an example of Christian faithfulness in faith, and love, and conduct, and speech, and purity. And I'm not going to go back to all of that. I am going to focus on one point. If you are struggling with impurity, get help. Don't wait. Get help. Get it today. Talk to someone today. Reach out to a trusted and mature friend in the church. Reach out to some of our biblical counselors in the church and, and fight for victory in Christ over temptation to sexual sin. That will, in in time, devastate your life and your family and your ministry. Number three, use the gifts that God has given you to serve others. Pastors say this all the time, and it's true. That's why we say it. God has given each one of us a gift, and he intends us to use those gifts in service to him and in service to one another. But understand this. Those gifts do not generally come to us fully developed and well-rounded we have to grow in that we we grow and we learn we have to mature and develop and nurture our gifts as we are growing and developing and so if you want to serve but you don't know what your gifts are just look for the needs within the congregation and step up now there are qualifications for certain things we're not just going to let anybody teach But we do want more teachers to be prepared to step into teaching roles. So if there's an opportunity, find an elder, find a ministry leader, find someone you know and respect here and go talk to them about and say something like this, hey, I want to serve. Where are some opportunities for me? Step into that role. The more you serve, the better you will understand how God has gifted you. I remember when I first became a believer and had this desire to serve in the church, I became a secretary in our church office. Just because that was a need. And then I started working with youth. And I, I mean, it was great. I ended up being a youth pastor for a long time. But that was just a need. And so I stepped into that. And it was in those roles that I learned more about how God had wired me, how God had gifted me, and how God had specifically given me passion for certain things. And opportunities arose, and I stepped into that, and people said, hey, you seem to have a gift here, but you might ought to read the next passage of Scripture before you preach that passage of Scripture. Or maybe you should read this book. It would be really helpful to you. And over time, gifts are nurtured and grow, and we're more useful to the body. So look for opportunities to step in and meet the needs of the day, but also look for opportunities to expand how you can serve the body. And then last... Fix your hope on Christ. This is for all of us. Fix your hope on Christ and don't let go. Look, Timothy was discouraged. and Maybe you're discouraged. Timothy was having a really tough time. Maybe you're having a really tough time. Maybe it has nothing to do with your age. Maybe it has something to do with something nobody else knows about but you and maybe your spouse or a friend. Maybe you're discouraged. Fix your hope on Christ Don't abandon the faith. Don't walk away. Don't step back. Step deeper in. Fix your hope on Christ and don't let go. Don't let your service for Christ take the place of your relationship to Christ. Maybe some of you are there. Whatever the case may be, hold on to the gospel. Remember that we're all great sinners, but Jesus is a greater Savior. Put your hope in him and don't let go. Let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you for your word, and I thank you for these instructions, these imperatives, these commands. This is a hard situation, a hard passage for Timothy, I have no doubt, and maybe it's hard for us as well, but Lord, I thank you that you have not withheld from us even the hard things. So Lord, help our hearts to be ready, help our minds to be sharp, and and help us to be faithful in the task whatever it looks like, whether repentance is necessary now or whether it's just to stir ourselves up for the sake of stepping into a ministry opportunity. Lord, use us. Help us to be conscious of the example that we are setting and let us not just see our service to you as the most important thing, but our relationship to you as the most important thing. And Lord, hold us fast to the truth. Make us useful. Accomplish your purpose in us for your sake and ours as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.